All right, good evening, EB Free. My name is Eddie Park. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I love teaching here at this venue. Uh, summer's here, guys. It's hot. I grew up in San Diego where it's like 72 degrees all year long, and I didn't know that Fullerton could get up to like 100 degrees. Um, you know, I have to be careful about what I wear in the summertime because uh, this is kind of embarrassing, but I have, a, I have a sweat problem when it gets hot. Even as I walked up like these three steps, I felt the sweat in my back starting to perspirate. And, and this is a problem because um, my entire wardrobe is actually made up of gray shirts and blue button-downs. And if you know a thing or two about gray shirts and blue button-downs, they are the best thing to wear when it's hot and you have a sweat problem. No, it is the worst thing to wear, right? And so um, I, I have to kind of be careful about what to wear uh, in, this, in this heat. So I'm, obviously I covered my gray shirt with this <laughs> nice dark plaid uh, 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 button-down. Um, you know, I did something really smart in this, in this uh, summer hot season. I went to Phoenix, Arizona last week. Very, very, anyone from Phoenix? Oh my gosh, God bless you. God bless you, goodness gracious. I went to Phoenix uh, last week for one day. I flew there and I got into Phoenix airport. What is it called? Like Sky Harbor? Sky Harbor at 10 p.m. And uh, you know, you know someone is from SoCal by when you look at their face as they walk out of a terminal, right? So. I'm walking out of a terminal, and you know that there's some SoCal, and every city that I, that I fly into that's not in Southern California, I have the same reaction. The sliding doors open, and you just have the face of like, whoa, what's, what's going on, right? And, and I, I hop into my Uber car. Uh, if you're a taxi driver, I'm sorry, I Ubered. Um, I, I hop into my Uber car, and I asked uh, my driver, oh my gosh, what's the temperature right now? It's 10 p.m., and she said, oh, it's 109 and then 109, it's 10 p.m. How can it be 109? And I was like, goodness gracious, what was the temperature during the day? She said, oh, I think it's like 120. I had no idea it gets 120 anywhere on the globe. So anyways, I share, I share this story about uh, when I was in Phoenix because something very interesting happened. I was in Phoenix, and I had a very, very interesting conversation with uh, a stranger. When I'm, when I'm traveling and I go into random cities I've never been to, I meet random people I'll never talk to ever again. I get very, very extroverted. <laughs> and so I'm at, this, I'm at this cafe, this restaurant with two of my colleagues, and uh, we're at the hotel restaurant cafe, and there was a server there was a server. Her name was Wendy. I think it was Wendy. <laughs> Wendy, and she's about 24, girl. Um, she had chubby cheeks, big box frame glasses, and she smiled a lot. Um, she didn't have braces, but in my, in my memory, she has braces for some reason. <laughs> and, and she, I mean, she killed it. She crushed this lunch service that we had. She was, she was so great. She, she brought out an appetizer that we didn't order, like, and we're like, oh, we didn't order this. He's like, no, I just, I just felt like, you know, I, I wanted to uh, uh, give you guys an appetizer because it's your first time in Phoenix. And we're like, wow, this is great service. Uh, she would come by frequently giving us water because you need water in Arizona, uh, a lot of it. And, and when we left the restaurant, she gave us like two go cups of ice water to go. I mean, that's pretty good service, right? We tipped her really well. And, and, and she would come frequently, ask, how's the food? How's it going? And about three-fourths in, into our meal, I, I looked at her and said, hey, Wendy. And she's like, 
yeah. I was like, can I ask you a question? She's like, oh my gosh, did you not have enough water? I was like, no, we have enough water. Thank you so much. I looked at her and I said, if I were to ask you, what would you say? What is the purpose of your life? And then all of a sudden, this very extroverted, very confident server became really nervous and she looked like deer in a headlight. She's just like, oh, well, um, uh, uh, I'm only, sir, I'm only 24. I don't have that much life experience. I'm like, no, there's no wrong or right answer. I just, I'm just curious. I asked this question to a lot of people and I said, what is the purpose of your life? And nervously, she's just like, I don't know, uh, hard work? It's like, okay, cool, hard work, awesome. And I share this because that reaction, that response is very indicative of a lot of the responses I get when I ask that question, especially to people around that age. She's 24, so she may or may not have graduated college. She has a great attitude. She's hardworking. And I'm sure she didn't imagine her life waiting tables at a hotel restaurant in Phoenix. And so I just felt like, man, you're crushing it. You're crushing it as a server. What, is, what do you think the purpose of your life? Because I want to know. I want to imagine what is the next step for her. But then I, I kind of was sympathetic because I realized when I was 24, I had no clue what the purpose of my life was. I was a financial analyst at a private equity firm making people a lot of money, <laughs> making rich people richer. And I would often have that question, what is the purpose of all this? What is the purpose of my life? I grew up in the church, so I knew that the answer was something like love God and love people. I knew it was something like that, but I always had this struggle of like, yeah, well, I know we need to love God and love others, but how do I do that? What do I need to do? No one was able to answer that question. I I served at a Presbyterian church before I came on staff here at EV Free, and every sermon, every pastor would come up and said, oh, for the glory of Christ. Every sermon, all for the glory of Christ. And I would meet up with young adults one-on-one afterwards and says, hey, I know it's all for the glory of Christ, but... How does that help me know what to do with my life? How do I do that? And I would be like, that's a great question. <laughs> and so when I was young, I, I went out to look for how to, how to find my purpose, how to live for purpose. I started, I started reading books. A great place to start was Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life. And then I realized that he, he, he too was also saying that it's about loving God and loving others. And so I, I, I stepped out of the Christian faith and started reading other books and authors like Malcolm Gladwell, Outliers, uh, uh, The Tipping Point, other, other high-performance type of gurus. And I found it fascinating that, this, that there was this one thing across all these authors, all these gurus, all these high-performing people that were living so intentionally with purpose. There was this one point of advice that all of them were saying. And, I, and, and this piece of wisdom, this piece of advice that they were all saying, I found it ironic that 
For me to find that, I went outside of the Bible, outside of the Christian faith. And when I looked at where they were getting this piece of advice, this piece of wisdom, they were quoting the Bible. And so we're going to be looking at this piece of wisdom text, this piece of advice on how to, how to start, how to begin to live your life with more purpose. So we're going to be looking at the book of Psalms. Book of Psalms. Psalms, I know, you know a lot of us think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a, a book of a lot of praise and worship music, but it's also considered wisdom literature, wisdom text. It talks a lot about the human condition. And we're going to be uh, looking at particularly Psalm 90. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your phone apps, if you have, uh, I don't know, your, your pads, nothing, if you don't have anything, it's going to be on the screen here as well. So let's turn to Psalm 90. <laughs> Uh, Psalm 90, if you, if you look right below where it says Psalm 90, the title, it says a prayer of Moses, um, a man of God. Now, we have no evidence to prove that Moses actually wrote this psalm. He could have, we, but we have no evidence to really prove that. Whether or not we have that evidence or not, the, the editor and writer of the Psalter chose to title this prayer, this psalm, designated to Moses. And that's very, very important to realize because if something is entitled with the greatest man of God in your faith, it probably has a lot of authoritative weight what you're about to read about the human condition. And before we read the psalm, I think it's really helpful to understand how the psalm is structured and it'll help us interpret it. So roughly the psalm is broken up into three sections and I titled it how the beginning, it talks about how things were how life was before in the beginning with God. And then, uh, quickly, the the psalmist goes into uh, how things are now, which is not so good. It's pretty bad, actually. And then, the end of the psalm, he talks and pleads to God to restore back blessing. Restore, make it good again. Uh, you know, I'm a, for some of you guys that know, I'm a classical violinist, and so my, my favorite concerto pieces was Vivaldi's Four Seasons. When, when, I, when I didn't have my iPhone, I used to have a Nokia phone. Everyone who called me always heard, dun, 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 spring, Vivaldi's spring. Um, only the, the uber musical nerds kind of got that reference. <laughs> so, so we can actually, you know, if you think about seasons, you could think about this psalm in those seasons. Actually, almost every psalm, every monolithic story follows that pattern of summer, fall, winter, spring, back to summer. And so we're going to see that a little bit with this, with this psalm, where it starts with this summer, where things are great, how things were, and then it quickly pivots into fall, the conflict. Then winter, it's really bad. And then the pivot to spring back to summer. And so that will be really helpful as we, as we uh, read through the psalm. You guys ready? Let's read it together. Uh, verse 1, it says, Lord, this is summer. You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, You brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. This is is in the prayer. It's talking about the beginning of time. And the key thing to highlight is the Lord, you have been our dwelling place. You've been the protector of mankind. You've been so gracious 
in the beginning. And then in verse three, it quickly pivots and it says, you turn people back to dust. Saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet, you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning, it springs up new. But by evening, it is dry and withered. Again, we we see that God has preserved human life in the beginning of time. He's been the protector, the refuge in the tradition, in the Judeo tradition. People would have known that humans lived way past 100 years. It says in in the Jewish tradition that humans, before the flood, had walked 800, 900 years. But something had happened to human life Even right now, people are dying every second. Even right now, people are being born every second. This is the frailty and fragility of human life. People are dying and people are being born. People are dying and people are being born. That's the current state of our reality right now. That's the current state. And the plot thickens as we move into deeper, deeper into fall now winter our days verse 10 our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures if we're healthy if we hit those gym if we we take our vitamins we take our uh, uh, diabetic pills maybe we can last till 80 years of life yet the best of them are what trouble sorrow again we have to understand that that Israel has been invaded for many, many years, displaced, persecuted. Their life has been much trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and fly away if we only knew the power of your anger. And again, the psalmist is recalling back to the beginning in Eden. If, If humanity had only known in that garden. And not, it doesn't end there. If humanity had only known not to build that big tower called Babel, perhaps, perhaps God would have been our refuge instead of destroying humankind with a flood and causing us to only live life of 70, 80 years. And, and then we see a pivot. We see something change, not only in the psalm, but something in the mind, in emotion, of the psalmist, something turns more positive, something turns more hopeful, something more action-oriented in the psalmist. And, and this is the pivot. This is very, very, this is very, very uh, important to realize. It says in verse 12, teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. It, 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 isn't, that, isn't that interesting how humans are, humans are fascinating. We, we think that we live forever. We might cognitively know that we, we do not live forever, that we're finite beings, but if you look and take inventory of our lives, 
how many minutes, how many hours are wasted on frivolous things, on television, on looking at screens, on pity arguments, and being negative and cruel? How many days, how many hours, how many minutes are being wasted as if they're not precious? Almost as if we think we live eight or 900 years, but in reality, we only live 70, maybe 80 years. And then something happens in the psalmist, in the mind of the psalmist. He, 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 he pivots and says, relent, Lord, please. It's, it's, please change it back. Can you, can you not be so angry with us? Can you change it back to how things were? How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. So it's pleading with God. And I find it interesting that the psalmist says, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. You know, with the days that we have left, God, will you satisfy us with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. I've lived my life in too much sorrow and too much trouble, wasting them on frivolous things. God, in this moment, right now, realizing that I have an end, that I almost will only live up to 70, 80 years, will you fill me with your unfailing love? Something different happens in the psyche of the psalmist. In verse 16, he talks about legacy. He talks about May your deeds be shown to your service. In my life, Lord, in the amount of joy, in the amount that I I fill my cup with your unfailing love every morning. He talks about legacy. May your deeds, may your great work be shown through my life, in my life, through my life to your people. Your splendor, your amazingness, your awesomeness be shown to their children, to my children, to the next generation. And then the psalm ends, may the favor of the Lord, our God, rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In another translation that says, God, I'm going to decide, I'm going to decide to work, to be filled with your unfailing love, to show your splendor your amazing deeds to others, and God, may you bless it. May you make my, my efforts successful. There's a pivot. We're back to summer. Something happened. And again, that pivot was the phrase, teach me, Lord, to number my days that I may gain the heart of wisdom. See, there's something about when you know your end, when you, when you live in this realization of your mortality, your frailty, your humanness, you live with more purpose. You live more intentionally. When we know our end, our purpose can begin. When we know our end, our purpose can begin. We can live with purpose. My best friend, uh, his father died when he was 50 years old. 
He was 19 at the time. My brother-in-law, his father just passed away as well, 51 years old. Now, if we were to actually count the number of days that these fathers lived their lives, these men have lived their lives, it it equates to something around 18,000 days. 18,000 days. And I know you might hear that. That's abstract. That's a large number. Let me give you some perspective. My, My best friend, he's 35 years old. That means he's already lived 13,000 days on this earth. And if he died the same age as his father, you do the math, 18,000 minus 13,000, how many days does he have left to live? 5,000 days. That becomes a very sobering number. If we literally count the days that we have left, how would that affect us? Well, I look at my friend, and after he's really realized that, he lives his life much more wisely, with intention, with purpose. I even, I even think about my own life. When I, I started to live my life with purpose when, when I envisioned and saw my funeral when I saw the end, when I envisioned my funeral at my death, I thought about what would my son say giving my eulogy? What will my son say about my legacy? Will he say that my father showed the great deeds and great works of God through his life? And that not only I know, but many, many others, many generations, his grandchildren, young people all over, emerging leaders, know the splendor of God, how great God is. I imagine my funeral and my son giving my eulogy. There's something about when you know your end, your purpose can begin. I started living my life differently when I took this wisdom to heart. I was at a funeral recently. There was a father, another father that that passed away. He was 57 years old, stage four liver cancer. The doctor told him that he had six months to live. He lived only four months after that. Stage four, so he decided not to get treatment, but he decided to just live his life, live his life with purpose, knowing that he only had six months to live. Again, he only had four months to live. And what did he choose to do? He decided to live every day, spending time with his two sons, two adult sons. And he spent time with them, told his sons everything about his life, all the stories, all the mistakes, all the dumb things that he did, did all the skeletons in their families that he just felt was pointless not to share at this, at this point. And at the funeral, I got to actually spend time with one of the sons. And you know what that son said to me? He said, Eddie, I never knew how much my father loved me until the last four months of his life. It's amazing the amount of wisdom and decisions that you make when you know your end, when you know the fragility, your mortality in life. 
you can live with more purpose. What really matters in life. What do we see when we look at the life of Jesus? The embodiment, the incarnation of wisdom itself. He's the human model of what it looks like to please God. Historians say what? He's lived about what? 33 years? 31 years of life? In our tradition, in our text, it says that Jesus started his public ministry about 30 years old, meaning that he could have had maybe one, one and a half to three years of ministry on this earth. And if you read through the Gospels, what is, what is Jesus continually saying to his disciple? I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm not going to be with you anymore. And people were so confused by what he was saying, but Jesus modeled what a life could look like in a year and a half to three years of ministry and purpose lived out. And what was his purpose? To show the world who God is through his life, death, and resurrection. And I can say wholeheartedly, Jesus Christ fulfilled his purpose in a very, very short amount of time. Friends, today can be a day where you make a pivot in your life. Today can be a day when you stop living as if you're going to live forever on this earth. We will live eternally with Christ in the end, but there there has still been 2,000 years of history since Christ and now. And a lot of lives were impacted by what was left behind by human people. It matters. The decisions we make deeply matter. It's so vital and important for us to live with more, with more purpose, more focused, intentional purpose. And I pray for you tonight that you would want your life to, to show others the great works of God, the miracles of God, how powerful his love is, his unfailing love, that Jesus is the hope of the world, and that many, many generations and children and your grandchildren would know how amazing God is. Because I don't think the world truly knows how amazing God is. So I want to invite you into a time of prayer where we can ask the Lord to do a work in us tonight, today. So will you bow with me as we pray? With your heads bowed, I want to lead us into a time of prayer, reflection, introspection. It's a heavy topic And as we ask the Spirit's help in our time, I want to acknowledge you and to acknowledge the Spirit's work. If if you would like to make this a moment, to ask God to make a pivot in your life, that you can begin to live a life with more intense focus and purpose, 
realizing, taking inventory that our life will not last forever. And that you will join me in this prayer of asking God to bless the work that he's entrusted us with. I just want to acknowledge the Spirit's work. If, if that's you, can you just raise your hand? With, with, I see you, 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 I see you all. Let's pray together. Father, for my friends that raise their hands, Father, crying out to you, saying, Lord, no longer do we want to live our life in affliction, in meaninglessness, in aimlessness. We don't want to just mail it in, in our work. But Father, teach us to number our days, to take inventory of the days that we have left, the weeks that we have left, what really matters to us. God, what will it look like at our funerals? What will our, will our closest friends and family say about us and the legacy that we leave behind? What will they say? Will they say that our life showed your great works and deeds? Will they profess that children and our grandchildren and the next generation knew the splendor of God. Father, we ask you in this time to make a pivot in our lives. We want to live with more purpose. We want to live and gain a heart of wisdom knowing that we have an end because when we know our end, our purpose can begin. Help us to live wisely, O oh Lord. I pray for everyone that raised their hand and acknowledge your spirit's work. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.